A spy, World War II, the Nazis making a deadly gas to use on England. Intrigue, deceit, brutality, executions, explosions, and a love story. All wrapped up into The Adventures of Tartu. All right. In our canon of movies, this is an easy one to miss. And we're happy we discovered it and are talking about it now. Okay, this episode is designed to enhance your viewing pleasure of the movie, and whether you have seen it yet or not, we will point out things to look for, and you should watch or re-watch this movie. It's a good one. We'll do a scene analysis with key takeaways from the scenes and influences from and on other movies, and you will discover something new in every episode. So when you do hear, let us know what it is, and we'll give you a shout-out. Yeah, it's like Pietro Rossi. He just listened to a couple of our James Bond pre-title sequence decoded episodes. And he said to us, in the For Your Eyes Only pre-title sequence, he said, I never noticed the message the flower spelled out on the grave. Thanks. And when he's talking about the Spy Who Loved Me pre-title sequence, he said, I didn't realize where Give Him the Elephants came from. Thanks, Pietro R. There you go. So, Pietro, thank you for those words. We appreciate it. So now you can listen to those episodes and find out, too, what Pietro discovered. And keep listening and discover something new here, too. So let's go. This is Tom Pizzotto from Spy Movie Navigator. And Dan Silvestri. All right, we're going to move on. First of all, the name of this movie, The Adventures of Tartu. Sounds like it should be a pirate movie to me. (laughs) (laughs) With a pirate named Tartu? (laughs) Or their island hideout, maybe, is on Tartu. I thought it was something the dentist scraped off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. You've got too much tartu. you got to floss more. All right. Maybe it's an exotic elephant. It sounds like that, too. All right. (laughs) The alternative title, though, Sabotage Agent, I think is a better one. But here's something we found out. Tartu is actually the second largest city in Estonia. Any connection there? Well, it's considered the intellectual capital of Estonia, so maybe it's a nod to Robert Donat's character here, Captain Stevenson, and his abilities to get this job done. And Dan, you just said about Sabotage Agent being a better name for this thing. Yeah. When this movie was released in England, that was its name, That's Sabotage a good name. Agent. And the UK version includes a scene with Terence Stevenson and his mother, now, that scene was cut when they released it in the U.S., but the, the version of the movie that we saw on YouTube had that scene in it. Yeah, I like so that scene. apparently the YouTube cuts have that scene in it. And you can kind of tell when you look at the length of time that the movie is on YouTube. All right. In this episode, we're going to give you eight good reasons, including some key scene analysis, of why you should watch this spy movie. Number one, first of all, this is a terrific story complex with many twists and smack dab in the spy movie genre and filmed and released during world war ii in 1943 so it is really a bit of a propaganda movie as it was probably designed to bolster up the spirit of the british people in the midst of the war and here england is trying to do something good and significant against the nazis take it to the germans and defeat them so This is a must-see because it is true espionage on many, many levels. Okay, I'll I'll agree with that last part there, Dan. Yeah. But you started this by saying it's a terrific story. Yeah. I think it works. I think it's entertaining. I think the main plot is a little bit convoluted in points. 
And if you look at this and contrast it with something like The Spy Who Came In From The Cold or even The 39 Steps, I mean, those were terrific stories. Yeah. So for me, this is a good story. I don't think it's terrific. It's definitely entertaining. It's worth watching. But... I don't put it quite in the echelon of those other two that I just named. I don't know. I think because it's historical and it has some historical value, too, it's a terrific story. It's not a documentary, but it's a complex spy story. There aren't a lot of twists and turns, like you said, but it's better than good uh, or maybe even better than very good. So I say terrific. (laughs) (laughs) Well, in in a number game, I would look at a terrific movie being a 9 or a 10. I might put this as a 6 or a 7. It's definitely worth the watch, but I don't think it's quite at that same level. All right. So here's the plot summary. Germany is developing a poisonous gas that they will weaponize and use against the Allies. The British military calls in Captain Terrence Stevenson to assign him a very special spy mission. One... Go get the formula for the gas. And two, destroy the manufacturing facility. Hey, that's kind of James Bondish. They choose him because he has a chemical engineering background and he speaks fluent Romanian as he grew up there, as his father worked there before World War I. And he speaks German as well because he spent a couple of years there at university in chemical engineering. He will take on the persona of Captain Jan Tartu, a Romanian Iron Guard captain who overtly supports the Nazis, as does the Iron Guard. So yeah, that, no, you're, you're right. talking about this kind of having a James Bond kind of a feel there. Yeah. And I would definitely agree. Some of the James Bond stuff is, oh, somebody wants to take over the world. And some of the stuff is we've just got a mission to go take out something. You think about the pre-title sequence in Goldfinger. Yes, I like right? that. It's just take out that chemical plant. Yeah. Right? that That's your mission. It's not go and do some elaborate thing. It's just go do this thing. Yeah. And that's what they're having him do here. So I, I like that. Yeah, I like it too. And anytime you, you, you have a, no, an order to go blow something up, I mean, you have to think of James Bond. <laughs> yeah. well, and you have to like the order to go blow something up. It's kind of fun. Yeah. All right. So that's the first reason. The second reason is the cast. The cast is tremendous. A young Glynis John here is flawless as Paula Palachek. And her mother, Anna Palachek, played by Phyllis Morris, has a strong screen presence that is easy to believe given the circumstances she is in. Yeah, now I'm going to stop you here too because this one, you talk about Glynis John. Yeah. And my knowledge of her prior to us really starting to dive into some of these movies is from Mary Poppins. Yeah. Right? Okay. And so this is such a different, uh, yeah, this is different character, and it's and she's a lot younger, and it's really cool to see her play that role. It is, and she's terrific, absolutely terrific. Her facial yep. expressions, everything, absolutely flawless. Great. Well, stuff. and she she has a role here where <laughs> she has to show different emotions and yes. stuff, so she does that very well. Yes, yes, and you really get attached to her in in, in the movie. Then you take Walter Rilla. He's Inspector Otto Vogel. Really, this guy's performance should be talked about. He displays so many character nuances, gestures, facial expressions, as he is in love with one of the main characters. He's just fabulous. And, of course, the main character is played by Robert Donat of the 39 Steps fame. He won the Best Actor in a Leading Role Oscar for Goodbye, Mr. Chips in 1940 as well. Here he plays Captain Terrence Stevenson, as well as the undercover Captain... Jan Tartu, the Romanian oh, so Iron Guard. Yeah, Jan Tartu is a caricature he's playing. 
a character he's playing. I, I think it's a caricature. <laughs> well, he is a little. We'll talk more about There's a little pomp to it. <laughs> he's playing the undercover Captain Jan Tartu, the Romanian Iron Guard guy who pretends to support Germany. He's very, very solid here. He plays the Tartu character as a dandy, like you're kind of, I uh, think, alluding to Tom. Very yeah. affected. Very focused on women and his clothing as a distraction, though, I think, for the Germans. So he plays it up like that as this big distraction, I think. So that's why I think he's overdoing it. Because well, he was, one, one thing I like about that, though, is so he's taken on the role as an agent. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Stevenson does. And his alter ego, if you were the character he's playing here. Yeah is very different. So there, you see a scene where he's practicing in front of a mirror how to do the Tartu character. Yeah. And the That's nice thing scene. about it is they are very, you can tell which one you're looking at, even though it's the same person, given how Donat is carrying himself here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's an undercover spy here, and he's not trained to be a spy, right? He, he was true. actually a demolitions expert, he, yep. defusing bombs before they assigned him to this mission. So it's kind of cool that he's now taking on this role as a spy. So he's terrific here. Critics say it's not his best performance, but I don't care what they say. <laughs> Robert Donat is good here. And well, he's that, that's, really that's good. A, that's a positive to his other performances because is. this is a good performance. So it if is. they're saying it's not his best, yeah. that tells you how good this guy is. He is. He's terrific. All right, let's get to Valerie Hobson, who plays Marushika Lanova. Her performance as this woman who lives in the same house as the Polacheks and Inspector Otto Vogel and the house that Tartu is assigned to is just stunning in her performance. She plays this uppity woman who treats Paula and the mother, Anna, badly in front of Vogel. But it's a show because she really works for the underground in Czechoslovakia where the main story is taking place. And so she plays multiple roles as this mean woman, the dedicated anti-German underground connection, and more. She easily floats from one personality to another, and it's so believable. She's also been in a couple of other spy movies, like Cube Planes, which we have an episode out on, terrific movie, and The Spy in Black, both 1939 movies. Yeah, we need to do an episode on that one too, Dan. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she's a terrific actress. and yeah, she is. And she's really quite stunning here in The Adventures of Tartu. She is. Now, Hobson may be the reason why they wanted to make Stevenson 10 years younger than Donat the actor. You see, a little bit later in the movie, there's a handbill there for Tartu, and his age there is listed as 28. Yeah. But in real life, Donat is 38. So it might be because they had him paired with Hobson and they had to have this relationship that they decided to make him appear 10 years younger than he really was when they released this. Yeah, because Marushika, played by Valerie Hobson, she was, what, 26, right? She was 26. Yeah, at the time yep. of this filming. So Yeah, good. well, not Marushika wasn't. Valerie Hobson <laughs> yeah, was. Yeah, Valerie Hobson was. Yeah. So he was 12 years older than her, so them trying to knock 10 years off, you know, that, I guess that makes sense. Yeah. It came off pretty well, though. I think it played it off did. perfectly, well, really. And you, you and I both have talked about how we like Valerie Hobson, and she was in a lot of spy movies. And after she played Elizabeth in The Bride of Frankenstein in 1935. Yeah, right. So you mentioned those two movies that she was in, Q Planes and Spies and, and The Spy in Black. Yes, yeah. 
Right. But then she was also in another 1935 movie called The Great Impersonation. Mm -hmm. In 36, she did The Secret of Stambul. In 39, she was also in The Silent Battle, Contraband, which is also known as Blackout. And in 1942, she did Unpublished Story. I mean, she was a spy movie queen back then. And from that era, she's absolutely one of my favorite actresses. Yeah, she's just absolutely terrific. And she looks stunning in here. And, yep. and so, well, I she mean, usually does. Yeah, the cast is brilliant. So watch some of these great performances in this movie, The Adventures of Tartu. All right, that's your second reason. The third reason is direction. Harold S. Bouquet directed this movie. Who's that? He's a British director who served in World War One, so he knows war firsthand. And he directed Young Doctor Kildare in 1938. He mostly did B pictures for MGM, which many say, though, were better than other studios' A pictures. So he was pretty good. Anyway, he does a wonderful job in this movie with camera angles, close-up long shots, and the ability to create really an overall sense of feeling that you get from watching this movie. I mean, as a viewer, you feel some of these scenes, like when the Germans are executing certain individuals. You don't see them getting shot. You hear the shot. And you know and you feel the scene. Really, it's awesome that he was able to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I really like the way they do that because it's also a little bit telling of the times because this was a propaganda movie, but they didn't want to go over with the, you know, what you saw in terms of the killing. And it's kind of like in the Scarlet Pimpernel, they do the same type of thing where you don't see the the guillotines happening, but you know that they're there. Right. Today, they'd show all the blood and the gore and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, but, and, and I think it's kind of intriguing not seeing it because you know exactly what happened and you didn't need to see somebody's head blown off. I think it was even more ominous the way they did it and the, the facial expressions of the people hearing it because of the way they did it. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Speaking of Scarlet Pimpernel, Walter Rilla was also in that movie. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. There you go. All right, there's three good reasons. The fourth reason is production design. Wow! John Bryan really did some good work here. The house is an enticing and believable set. The cafe, beautiful, comfortable, inviting, yet permeated with the German presence that overrides everything. And then the munitions plant and the PS, the resistance, the gas manufacturing plant. This is an enormous and slick-looking set Cool steel elevators, curved tunnels, vault-like doors, lots of space, pipes, lighting, signs in actual Czech language. I checked a word or two, danger, for instance, and so on. Oh, oh good. You're good at that. Uh, you're better at researching the language than I am. It's all good stuff. I wanted to see if it was going to be there, and it was. Check words on the, on the doors and walls. It does have a kind of a Dr. No kind of feel to it. Well, actually, before you before you go to there, the, this gas factory. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about the steel elevators and stuff, especially for the time they made this movie it was really a cool set. Yes, yeah, you it know, was. it was up and down, and, and the elevators and the tubing. I mean, that just it, it all fabulous. just looked really, really cool. It was enormous, and it was cool. That's why I say it kind of <laughs> has a Doctor No feel to it. Or really, maybe Dr. No has a John Bryan gas factory feel to it because (laughs) this came away before it, right? Dr. No came out 19 years later. And coincidentally, I believe there was a time that Ken Adam, who did the James Bond production stuff for so many movies, 
was at Shepperton Studio while other art directors were there as well, including John Bryan. <laughs> wow. And John That's Bryan. Cool. Yeah. John Bryan here, he won an Academy Award for the art direction in the 1948 movie Great Expectations, and he'd been nominated for other things as well. So you will enjoy the sets in this movie. <laughs> yeah, the sets are the sets are very good. All right. Now, now there are connections to other movies. What we do on our podcast is we try to see what things can connect to other movies or influence other movies. And we've talked a little bit here about the, like this tie-in with Dr. No. Yeah. But we're going to talk about some more stuff here. So, like, earlier... So, this is going to be your fifth reason, which is going to be a number of reasons, right? Oh, that's, be that's true. Yeah, yeah there there's, there's a few of these connections that we're going to talk about. Yeah, here. yeah. Good. All right. So, we have like the 39 Steps where the main character, Hannah, is played by Robert Donat, and he needs to find the secret, which is his MacGuffin in, the, in that movie. In that movie, the, the, the MacGuffin was, what is the 39 steps? Yeah, yeah. Here, in The Adventures of Tartu, his MacGuffin is the secret formula for the gas. Yeah. Right? So it's not a person. It's not necessarily an object. No. And Donat's no. characters in both of these movies has to find out what these things are. Yeah. So it's really, I really kind of like that because it's the same actor, two very different movies, but the MacGuffin's somewhat similar because yeah. it's this nebulous whatever. Yeah, they're gas both. They're or what, both, what is the thirty nine steps? They're both knowledge. That the, the MacGuffins yeah. are both knowledge they have to gain. So that's yep. pretty cool. Yep, absolutely. The opening scene is a recently bombed area of England with wounded being attended to amongst the rubble and really kind of draws you into the story quickly. And there's an unexploded bomb that's discovered and becomes the subject now. It must be diffused. Robert Donat, playing Captain Terrence Stevenson, is sitting on top of the bomb while a boy is being treated in a bed. This was a hospital that just got bombed out. And Stevenson is being polite to the boy and asking him to kind of keep quiet as he's listening with a stethoscope to the bomb, trying to figure out the timer or whatever. This okay, so him sitting yeah. on the bomb. Yeah. I'm not sure, uh, Dr. Strangelove. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I how, else, how else would you do it? I wouldn't want to be doing that kind of thing. But he's sitting yeah. there because he's got to get into it, right? He's got to right. open it. He, this, so this opening scene it really establishes several important character traits about this guy, Stevenson, which are important to the rest of the story. And we see the connections to the silent enemy of 1958, to James Bond's Octopussy in 1983, and even Mission Impossible Fallout in 2018, which we'll talk about all of these. First, we see he's a good man. He's calm. He's calculating. He's focused on his mission and is the expert they say he is at defusing bombs. He is the definition of coolness right here, and that is how he will be throughout the movie. Well, I mean, he better be calm. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you're going to defuse bombs, yeah. you don't want Don Knotts defusing <laughs> no. a bomb, right? You want somebody calm like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, and also the calmness is how he's talking to the boy Danny. Yes. Now, he's defusing the bomb. He's talking to Danny and somebody on the radio at the same time. But I, I think he tries to choose his words to keep Danny calm. And quiet. <laughs> yeah, and, and quiet. That's good. Yeah. So he coolly announces through his communication device that he's removing the fuse cap. Yeah. And he describes the type of detonator that it's in the bomb, and he removes the security pin. Yeah. But he does it. The detonator doesn't come away. Yeah. And he says, this is the ticklish bit, removing detonator. 
<laughs> so he definitely has to remove this thing without touching the sides of the bomb. Yeah. And we see that in Octopussy and some other spy movies oh, as sure. well. Yeah. So he's very cool under pressure. I mean, and a lot of pressure. Yeah. He's calculating and he's, de- and he's determined. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he diffuses the bomb successfully. I love this part. He turns to the nurse who was attending the boy and he says, operation successful. The patient died. <laughs> okay. This is 1943. And we have an agent with the ability to, under pressure, come up with quips. That was pretty good. Remember, this is a bombed out <laughs> hospital setting. And so the nurse there is taking care of the boy. So that, I thought that was great. <laughs> Shows his character. All right. In the 1958 movie, The Silent Enemy, we have an underwater explosives expert at defusing bombs. So this is 15 years before. And defusing bombs was a real skill, obviously used in the wars for sure. Yeah. And I love that they started with this. Yeah. As you said, it's a a trope that we do see in The Silent Enemy. Mm -hmm. I mean, Lieutenant Crabb, you say it's an underwater thing, but the first bomb you see him defuse is out on the beach. James Bond does it in Octopussy, and the diffusion techniques aren't 100% identical. Yeah, they're close. But but they are pretty close. And there's also, if we remember in Mission Impossible Fallout, another type of diffusing of the nukes that Luther, Benji, and Ilsa have to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to take offense to something you just said. Offense isn't the right word, but I want to contradict something you just said. You said you really liked the operation successful, the patient died. Yeah. I thought that was a very odd, weird statement. Now, maybe it was code for whomever was on the headset who he was talking to. But he's got this little boy, Danny, there, and he just said the patient died. Yeah, yeah, I understand that part of it. It, it. That seemed a strange word to use unless yeah. it was some code word. Well, because it was a hospital setting and she's the nurse. And then and, and the irony of it is that this was successful because this patient needed to die because it was a bomb. But I, I, I do, I still like it, it. But it I understand just, what you're yeah, saying. It seemed weird to me because yeah. Danny's a, a, the boy and yeah, you I wouldn't want to freak him out. Right. All right, there's more movie connections. Again, in this spy movie, we see an agent who has to act like a spy who really is not a spy, not trained to be a spy. And here, for Robert Donat, he did it as a reluctant participant, like he did in The 39 Steps. And we have seen other Hitchcock movies like The Man Who Knew Too Much, North by Northwest, and other movies who had people acting like spies who were not really spies and not trained. Here, we have a military captain, not trained for spying, who must do spy stuff, real spy stuff. So Okay, so yeah. I, I must have gotten up off the wrong side of the bed. I didn't play a good round of golf today. I don't know. But you, you just <laughs> used the word reluctant spy. I'm not sure I'd call him a reluctant spy. He says he has no spying knowledge, but yeah. he easily okay. accepts this mission, which is different than what we saw with Harry Palmer. That's who true. Threatened That's true. that he has to go back to prison if he doesn't accept the role. And Hannah in the 39 Steps, he was never asked by a supervisor no. or a superior or anybody to take on his spy role. He, it literally fell into his lap with a dead spy. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's, I mean, it's true. Those are good points. But he, so true, he is not a spy, though, here, nor is he trained to be a spy here, but he is going to be a spy here. <laughs> so, well, that's, that's true. That's he becomes one. That's the point. All right, again, he's straightforward and thorough. It's a sabotage job, basically. It it is kind of a goofy plan. Yeah, it is kind of a goofy plan, but it's kind of a goofy plan when they sent uh, Bond 
and 007 on the mission in no time to die too why not send like a whole freaking contingency of of spies to go blow that place up and get rid of these guys but you know no we had to rely on one guy killing 55 people or something (laughs) it's like like the same stuff all right how'd that turn out for him (laughs) yeah incoming all right but anyway we see more of his character being revealed here when he's told that no one would blame him if he might not be up for this job he quips like bond would have when would you want me to start sir actually kind of reminded me of bond at the end of specter when m says hey we need you back and bond says i never left That's yeah that, that that definitely does have a similar feel so yeah, we've got, yeah. i liked it yeah so this is another connection where we've got something in an early spy movie that may have influenced how things came out in the james bond movies mm-hmm and another thing I liked about how Donat plays this role has to do with the humor. Yeah, 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 that's true. Now, to me, it has a sense of humor sort of in between the James Bond quips and Charles Hammond and Q Plains. Okay. I mean, Ralph yeah. Richardson took that Hammond role way over the top. Yeah. And Stevenson, when he's Stevenson, isn't being very humorous, but when he puts on the Jan Tartu persona. Yes. He definitely takes that up a few notches. I don't know if he's quite as over the top as Hammond and Q planes, but yeah. it's up there. <laughs> it's up there. But I think it's part of the persona he's taking on and part of how he's fooling the Germans into thinking oh, yeah. he's on their side, right? So that's good. All right. And we even have more connections. Here, for one of the first times, we have Captain Stevenson who will be acting as a double agent. He has to gain the trust of the Germans, right, by pretending to be Jan Tartu, who was a member of the Romanian Iron Guard, loyal to the Nazis, and he is working truly for British intelligence. So that's kind of cool. So I was wondering, has Bond ever been a double agent? I mean, we saw in License to Kill, he had Sanchez's trust, but at the same time, he was not even a British agent since his License to Kill had been revoked, so he wasn't even that. And... And we saw 006 and Goldeneye maybe being a double agent with Jonas and MI6, but that's not Bond. <laughs> yeah, but what, what about when Bond takes on the role of Peter Franks in Diamond? Well, I'm not sure because Franks wasn't an agent. No, I wasn't an agent. I mean, yeah. But in the Mission Impossible series, we definitely see double agents quite a few times, mm, yeah. starting with the first one where Jim Phelps becomes a double agent. Yeah. Well, that's true. And with the use of masks, people pretending to be other people. To make someone think they're on the other side, I mean, is that just is that a double agent or a fake out? I'm not sure, but Jim Phelps definitely was a double agent. Yeah, yeah, I think the Mission Impossible stuff. Yeah, we can get away with that with the double agent stuff, but and certainly Phelps. Yeah. So the British intelligence powers assign him to this mission, a spy not trained to be a spy, but because of his language knowledge, speaking fluent Romanian and German, and his training as a chemical engineer, he's the guy. So he's off on his mission. We see him on a plane on the way to his destination, and he says, I better get ready. <laughs> okay. And he parachutes out of the plane. <laughs> okay, how, how cool is this guy, and what doesn't he know how to do? I mean, man, that's that's pretty good. Well, Dan, today in spy movies, we see something pretty similar. Somehow James Bond, Jason Bourne, Ethan Hunt, or even the recent movie Carter, the Carter character, yeah. they know how to drive motorcycles, <laughs> parachute, yeah. fly planes and helicopters of all that, different kinds true. and do it very smoothly. Yeah. And here in 1943, we get Stevenson doing this stuff, parachuting and stuff with a plum. He's a 
bomb expert, yet, no, I'm going to parachute it out. It's no problem. <laughs> so it's. I think this is really cool how it's a great setup of the hero spy being good at many different tasks. Was he parachuting with a plum? I mean, did the plum have a shoot too? <laughs> <laughs> All right. This is, yeah, he's either had very extensive training. <laughs> or uh, no, more more of a gut instinct and confidence, I think, that this guy shows. Kind of like Bond in whatever he does. So, all right. So we discovered that the real Tartu had met with a fatal accident, probably thanks to British intelligence. So Captain Stevenson is really playing a double agent, one of whom is really a dead guy. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, I think we've seen this before in spy movies, assuming the identity of a dead person. And sometimes, however, that's a problem because it's traceable. I'm thinking we saw this in one of the Harry Palmer movies. Was it Ipper's File or The Funeral in Berlin? I think. Well, in, in Funeral in Berlin, we had something similar twice, but with the same dead guy. Right? Yeah. That... Or I'm going to say, put, put let's put dead guy in quotes because supposed yeah. dead guy. Yeah. Because first, Harry Palmer gets a set of documents from Hallam from a dead person with the name Paul Louis Broom. That's true. Yeah. Now, he didn't give, Hallam didn't give Palmer the death certificate that he had, but he told Palmer that Paul Louis Broom was dead. Yeah. And these were the documents that were to be used for by stock in his defection. Okay. Now, it ends up later that Johnny Vulcan was really Paul Louis Broom. Sorry <laughs> if I just sorry if I just Confusing. blew that movie for you. <laughs> I mean, so Johnny Vulcan was the name of the dead man that Paul Louis Broom assumes. Yet Helen had Broom's death certificate, so that was kind of a pretty wild use of this concept. Yeah, yeah. But the yeah. concept of having a dead person being important in a movie like this, where somebody takes on the role. We have to give a special mention to Operation Mincemeat. This was a real World War II mission where they used a dead man to fool the enemy. Yeah. Now, in this case, it was a dead person assuming impersonating a non-real person. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. He was say? assuming the identity of, of someone that the Germans were tracking. Right. And But he was a dead guy. He's just a dead guy. That He wasn't the guy. <laughs> that's right. You yeah. just had the you just had the body, and they yeah, made yeah. up the guy. Yeah, that's pretty. And so it was an interesting ploy there. So it's pretty cool how you can use dead people in spy stories and get some interesting behaviors because of that. And we get that here. Yeah. All right. So I think that finishes up our connections part. All who watch this movie, you're going to enjoy these connections, and you'll see them as you watch the movie. So that yeah, was you're our... going to go. Hey, Dan and Tom told us about that. Yeah, that was our number five part. <laughs> Here's our number six part. <laughs> Some key scenes to decode here make this story so good. So we got to take a look at some of those because these are what make you want to watch this movie. So Stevenson, as Tartu now, has to present himself at the German consulate to Dr. Mueller. All is planned. And he gets to Czechoslovakia and he's going to get his Czechoslovakian visa from him. That's the plan. <laughs> but we all know how plans go. Robert Burns' poem, if you all remember this one, To a Mouse, 1786, The best laid schemes of mice and men, gang after glay, which means go off and astray. All right, a poetic reference. We're going to have another one later. <laughs> now, Stevenson is also told that after he crosses into Czechoslovakia, he's on his own, that the British powers can't be of much use to him. Once Boy, again, we've heard that before. Yeah. Or actually since. Yeah. 
Yeah, right. Since because this is 1943. Right, 1943. It reminds us of the 1959 movie Operation Amsterdam, where the spies are told, "If caught, we cannot help you." And of course, later in Mission Impossible, if caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your action. Basically, you're on your own. So that might have all begun here. Wait, this is more movie connections. We can't get can't get away from that. Oops, sorry. <laughs> well, these early movies set the stage for a lot of stuff in the future. Yeah, plan is laid out here. He needs to get into the gas works as his assignment, and he has to get his visa from Mueller, as told. So there's some cool stuff that goes on here. Mueller makes a call to verify that he is who he says he is. The British intercept the call and, of course, confirm that Tartu is Tartu. So, again, that was pretty cool. They tap into the phone lines of Mueller and answer the call from Mueller and say, yeah, that's Tartu. I I love the levels of espionage here. It's still risky, though, since anyone can make a call to try to trace who this Tartu character is, if he's alive or dead. So, I mean, that part of the story is a little iffy, like you kind of said, right? I mean, yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm spacing here. So there's a James Bond movie, and there's a call that they intercept, and somehow the person buy on the other end of the line buys that whoever they thought they were calling was who he expected. But I'm 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 spacing on which movie that is. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, Diamonds Are Forever. That's right? it. Yeah. That's it. Uh, Where Q makes the voice synthesizer. I think for his grandkids. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> right. That's right. And because they use it to pretend. Yeah, right. Yeah. So they, they 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 used it because we actually see this one twice, kind of like the thing with Harry Palmer. We see this twice because when Bond climbs into Willard's white suite, he gets a call from the governor and talks through a voice voice box to sound like Willard White. There you go. Yeah. So the governor thought yeah. he was talking to Willard White instead of Blofeld. Yeah. But in that case. Blofeld didn't intercept the call. He was on the line that rang, yeah. and they, they took it. And then later, Q rigs up a similar contraption to make Blofeld think he's talking to Bert Saxby. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not sure if that was an interception or not. Was that really the same thing that happened here in The Adventures of Tartu? Because we he, they were in an office when they intercepted the call, but we don't know if it was Bert Saxby's office. We see the CIA. We see agents working on a telephone pole, so they could have uh, yeah, been yeah. doing an interception. I, I, I think they did. Yeah, but, I think they did. So, uh, so I could I couldn't tell if they were just in Bert's office or or what they did yeah, there. But it doesn't matter. They intercepted a call, I think, and I think uh, they did that here. And and these, you know, yikes! I mean, we can't get away from even more movie connections here. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> all right, we're done with those now. <laughs> All right, so let's get away from movies. Let's talk about real spy things. All right, our number seven point here is that real spy things are going on in this movie. And two encounters that Tartu has with his contacts. First at the oil corporation in Bucharest, where there is a sign, countersign given. One says a certain set of words, and the other replies with another set of words that are expected as the official countersign. And we see that in many spines. Yes, and and then this guy gives him the the shoemaker contact Valak. Now here, the sign countersign is really from a William Wordsworth poem written in eighteen o two called Daffodils, and the quote was, "I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high o'er vales and hills, 
when all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils. So this is the line they use as the sign countersign. The poem I know really is about nothing about poetry. <laughs> this is our second poetic reference. This poem really is about how nature is a powerful gift to mankind, and in this movie, it is appropriate since the blight of war is really destroying the beauty of nature. And even Stevenson later on says in the movie, in the moonlight on a terrace with a woman. He says, quote, in this little circle of peace, unquote. So, I mean. Did, did th- you th- just say the blight of war is destroying the beauty of nature? Yeah. Well, that was good. Thank you. Thank you. That, that was, that was That's good. almost poetic. I, I never come up with something like that. <laughs> All right. So this selection of a poem, I think, is meaningful to the story, too. So that's pretty cool. Well done. The second instance that he has to do the sign countersign is with the shoemaker, Valak. Who is the contact he's supposed to make for his intro to the underground? The underground, this is what he's trying to do. Get to the underground for three quarters of the movie. He's trying to get to the underground. They use the same sign, countersign. The shoemaker gets arrested, though, for treason before Tartu can get the contact info. And that goes on. So Tartu is trying to do anything and everything he could to make contact with the underground. He needs them to pull off his mission. And he's not a trained spy, so he's kind of got to go by the, okay, I'm supposed to go here, and and now it's like, now what? Yeah. And now we'll go to our final point, the eighth point, which are more key scenes that need to be integrated into this movie, and that each of these scenes is done terrifically and really enhances the beauty of this movie. So... As Captain Stevenson takes on his disguises as Tartu, it's a great scene. I think you mentioned it earlier. A member of the Romanian Iron Guard he is. He's an officer, but really not a gentleman. It's an amusing scene worth noting. And Yeah, now that was a, that was a line. You're an officer, not a gentleman. Yeah, uh, in the movie. Ex- <laughs> yeah, I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I know the mo- we have a movie called Officer and a Gentleman, but yeah, yeah. I'm not... I'm not exactly sure why he's an officer, but not a gentleman. Well, he but, is an officer. He's a captain. He's Captain Tartu. And, no, but true. he's not a gentleman because he's flirtatious with the women and whatever. He's, uh, yeah. And he's, okay. pomp, he's got all this pomp going on, you know. Well, that's true. And yeah. you did say he's taking on this disguise. Yeah. And I really like the way he did this. <laughs> I mean, he's standing in front of the mirror. He's got a suit with very loud stripes on it, which was different than what he'd been wearing earlier. He's got this fancy cigarette holder. He's changed his hair. And then he starts talking in front of the mirror, and his face and his voice are very animated. Yeah. And it's a different voice than his normal voice. And this Tartu voice, it kind of almost sounded to me like he was doing an impression of Peter Lorre. Okay. And I mentioned earlier about the Scarlet Pimpernel. I've seen comparisons of this Tartu to the Scarlet Pimpernel. So we talked about how, you know, you didn't see the killing on screen in the Scarlet Pimpernel. You didn't see the killing here. Tartu is similar, is somewhat similar to the Scarlet Pimpernel character. And I've also read some comments that Tartu was playing a stereotype of a Romanian officer that was common back in this time. Yeah. So here in, in 2022, it looked a little, I'm not sure the right word. 
interestingly done. Yeah, where yeah. where kind of like wow, that's a little over the top. Yeah, but it, 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 it was closer a to what they did that. back then. Yeah, there was a critique of that. That hey, this is what you think a typical Romanian uh, is like, or whatever. And, and it was probably fair criticism. Although, again, he's doing this as part of his cover, and maybe it's you know maybe it's good cover, maybe not. But the Germans bought it, and that's all that counts here. <laughs> that's right? true. All right, so he receives this handbill that says that Jan Tartu is wanted, and that's going to be part of his cover. He's going to have that in his pocket in case people challenge who he is, and so. And on. that handbill is why I, I was made the comment about Donat being thirty-eight. Yeah. Yet the, the handbill says he's twenty-eight. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It could have made him thirty. I don't know why they. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. I just fine. thought that was bizarre. Yeah. But. So we see. Tartui gets his first assignment to the munitions factory, and we see how all the Czechs are reluctantly pressed into service to make munitions for the Germans. There are occasional attempts to sabotage the production by individual workers, and this gives the viewer a chance to see how brutal the Germans were in World War II when they really, truly did take over countries and force the conquered to work in what were their own factories for other things before the Germans took them over, like car manufacturing plant like Skoda and so on, which really happened in real life. Well, generally, the, the aggressor in a war is going to be brutal. Yeah. I mean, most wars, that's what you see. So yeah. that'd be keeping with the times. Yeah. So here in the munitions plant, we see the Germans catch a saboteur, and they take her outside and shoot her. So we see some real war stuff here, and this is one of the scenes we said earlier because of the great direction that you can feel. I mean, we see a relationship developing also between Tartu, Marushuka, but we're not sure what that relationship is yet. And in an instance in the movie where a German was shot and killed and the Germans suspected it was a woman living in the Palachek house where Tartu is also assigned to and Vogel is assigned to, they thought it was Paula. And he covered for her, saying that she had gotten home 30 minutes ago when he knew the killing had taken place only 15 minutes ago. So there's a lot of layers of espionage going on here. I said You said earlier, Tom, it gets confusing with all these different elements. But it's really not all that confusing, but, there's this, but there are many layers. And you have to pay attention to what is going on so yeah, that you understand who's doing what when. <laughs> Yeah, that could be my problem. <laughs> All right. Now, Paula also works at the munitions plant as well. and We see again how evil the Nazis are here with this munitions plant and how they're willing to kill people to yeah. set an example. I mean, they are ruthless. Yeah. And in real war, the Nazis did force the conquered people to work in their factories yeah, and produce weapons yeah. for them. So this is accurate. Yeah. It was a Skoda factory, which would have been accurate because that was a Czech car manufacturer mm-hmm. So and still is. Yeah. So this is the environment. Now, let's jump back to when we did our discussion and our episode on the movie Sabotage. Mm-hmm. And we talked about... Oscar Homolka's character in Sabotage walking across the floor and hearing his shoes squeak. Oh, yeah, right. And here, seven years later, there's a scene where we only hear the squeaking boots of the Nazi as he's walking down the aisle trying to find the saboteur. Yeah. I mean, it's unnerving. It is. <laughs> You've got just the footsteps yeah. and the squeaks. Great direction. The footsteps and the squeaks. We all wait. We know it's inevitable. 
footsteps squeaks. And I think this is now the third movie that we've talked about how squeaking noises can ramp up the intrigue and tension in a scene. I mean, there was that scene in Sabotage that I just mentioned. Yeah. But when we talked about GoldenEye in the pre-titled sequence for GoldenEye, oh, yeah. we had that squeaking cart. cart. Yeah, right, right. And to me, it's a f- the squeaky stuff, it's a fantastic effect because we saw it more in older movies than we see today, but it's really, really effective, at least in my opinion. Yeah, it draws you hi- Yeah, just to heighten the tension of what's going on because first, it's annoying. It's an annoying sound. Yes. But second, it's like, come on, we're oh, no, is, not another squeak. Yeah. We're we're waiting. What is it? What's next? Yeah. And it's I, I just I just think yeah, it's and it ends badly, of course, for the squeaking because they catch her and they take her away, and she will be shot immediately. They say it's sobering, so they capture a violent moment in the war here in the munitions factory and really bring the terror home when you're watching this as we as we hear the shot outside tartu had been rebuked for looking at czech women kind of flirtatiously and the german officer told him that those in support of the of the right don't interact with the czechs something like that he told him so in other words don't do that so you hear the shot outside. We know Paula now just got killed. And Tartu coldly says, at least there's one less to argue about. But this is part of his cover. And he has a mission. And he must succeed in his mission. So kind of sounds familiar, doesn't it? Bond-like again, I think. <laughs> <laughs> okay, right. so let's jump ahead a little bit in the movie because there's, I mean, there's still a lot of movie to go here. And let's go to the scene where Stevenson and Marushika... He, they go out for dinner and dancing. Yeah, she guesses he isn't really this tattoo guy, and he lets her in a little bit as to who he is. Yeah, the cafe scene. Really, it's <laughs> revealing and really worth noting this one. Yeah, and yeah. then they get out on the balcony and they kiss. Yes, for like eight seconds. Although you don't really see their lips touch. No, you don't see the lips touch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of. There's a side shot. You kind of catch it on right when they started. Yeah, and. We've talked about kissing in movies, yeah. and we've talked about the Hayes Code yeah. and how ridiculous you had to do things to get around the Hayes Code. So in the Hayes Code, which came about in the late 30s, they limited a kiss to being only three seconds. Yeah, with the, so, lips, lips, with the lips showing. With the lips at, showing and yeah. touching, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So crazy. three years after Tartoo... We had Hitchcock's Notorious, and they had that long kiss that we discussed in when we talked about mm-hmm. Notorious. So here, which was three years before Notorious, we get the heads turn, so you have to see the back of a Marushika's head, and not the kiss for most of the time. Yeah. So you see the kiss for like less than a second, but yeah. then the heads turn, you know they're kissing, yeah. but not that's shown. how they dealt with the code. Yeah. It just, just cracks me up. Yeah. All right, so the Gasworks Laboratory, too, this, this is a key shooting location for the movie, for the mission. As we mentioned, the set is wonderful. Because of his chemical engineering background, he's assigned to the gas laboratory, finally, which is what his goal was, right? But he's still got to make contact with the underground. So Tartu is desperate now. He has to make contact with the underground. So he goes to this And again, bar. he's not a trained spy. Not a trained spy. So he doesn't, he doesn't know exactly what to do. He's on his own, basically. Like they said, hey, you know, after you get to Czechoslovakia, <laughs> good luck. You know, it's a long <laughs> shot. 
Yeah, that's not ominous. No. So he goes to a bar, he pretends to get drunk, and he's talking about he knows some of the underground that are going to be killed in the next week and so on. Like, I think he said there's six names that he has and so on. The Gestapo has the names and so on. He's trying to draw attention to himself so that somebody from the underground might contact him because he needs to get all of them so walking out of the bar he's wobbling as he walks he's looking drunk and he's accosted he's hit over the head and he's brought somewhere we don't know who these guys are there are about six of them six men and tartu thinks that they the underground and that he's finally reached them that's why he pretended to be drunk because he wanted to really pique their interest because he said six of the underground guys are going to be killed so he's thinking okay maybe this is a way to reach them and so there he is. But he thinks they're the underground. And he tells them his plan, that he's a British agent, he's got to destroy the plant, and they're shipping the gas tomorrow, and blah, okay, blah, blah. I'm going to jump in here for a second, because I'm going to just remind people, I've said this a few times, he's not a trained spy. Not a trained spy. A trained spy probably would not give the goods up like this yeah. in this situation. Again, he's desperate and not a trained spy. Of course, James Bond tells everybody who he is, but... Uh, <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> so this whole scene where Stevenson is being misled as to whom he's speaking with, yeah. it feels really familiar to me. And then I remembered the pre-title sequence in the 1996 movie, Mission Impossible. Oh, yeah, that was great. Right? I mean, that opens up, That's and great. Zazamoff thinks he's yeah. talking to someone else, but it's really Ethan Hunt in a mask. Yeah. And Real Zazamoff's brave stuff. for a while. But then he finally does give up Medivh's name. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's kind of feels similar to this where he gives up the thing because he thinks he's talking to somebody else. Yeah. So now here, they're not responding. So now he's saying, oh, man, these are the Gestapo people, not the underground. So he's he, he's now really desperate. He's like, yeah, I have basically have blown my job. And he says that out loud, basically. Yeah, so, oops. Some, yeah, <laughs> uh, he feels pretty bad. So here, so here he's giving them this little speech. Yeah, you could deal with me, but the entire civilized world will keep coming at you. So he's still loyal, even though he knows. He's thinking, hey, they're going to kill me now, because they basically told him, yeah, it's going to be fast, back of the neck, bam, you're done. Whew. But it's kind of Bond-like. It turns out, though, that they are the underground and we're just being careful about Tartu and his Man. loyalties. Yeah. Like I said, it gets confusing. They know now his real name and his mission, and they help him. They make small, powerful pocket bombs for him to use to blow up the plant. This is a great well, scene. how's he going to get the bombs into the plant? I know. This is a great scene. That's the next great scene. The key to the plant. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> the key scene is really good. So... Oh, God. Go you just you just made a nice little pun on the word key? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got it. Okay, so it's a key scene. Okay, I, I, I get it. <laughs> yeah. So let's go ahead and talk about this key scene. Yeah, it's beautiful. So Tartu goes and he, he has to get into this plant. Hey, look, this is this scene alone is enough is, is reason enough to watch this movie. <laughs> so go. we're going to give it away. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, no, you're going to watch this movie. <laughs> so he's got he's got to go into the plant. Now, he's been there before. And earlier in the movie, he as he goes to check through, you have to go through a metal detector. Yeah. And he sets off the metal detector because he had a key in his pocket. Mm-hmm. Now, this time, he unloads all of his stuff again, goes through the metal detector. Again, he sets the alarm off. And again, 
it's the key. Well, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So now he he just pivots in place where he's to face the the guard. He doesn't go through the detector again. He stays yeah. on the the I'm through side of it. Yes. He reaches into his pocket and he grabs the key again, and he says to the guard, "Tonight we use this together." Yeah, right. Because he, <laughs> he had the key and he was pretending it was a woman's key and that she had a sister that he could set her up. Yeah, that's all. Set the her first up time. with this guard, right? Yeah. That was all before. So. It's just like, now this guy's like, oh, the key. Okay. So he's gone through. <laughs> uh, yeah. He set it off. He tells the guard it's the key again. He tosses the guard the key. He stays on the good side of the metal detector, right? He's past it. Yes. And as the key passes through it, the alarm goes off because it's yeah, it was metal. Beautiful. And so he is on the other side of the of the detector. Yeah. Clever. He's in. It's a really clever way to, to make this ruse work. Yeah. And it, I also thought it was impressive that he did the test run earlier that we've talked about. Yes, we didn't know what he was doing. Yeah, so, yeah, he goes through and it was like, what, what, a key, big deal, right? Well, it was a great setup for this. Mm-hmm. And it was a really non-elaborate way to get past security. It was pretty simple, yeah. but very effective. Yeah, yeah. Now, let's think about the Mission Impossible movies. So in the first Mission Impossible, they get into the CIA building posing as firefighters responding to an alarm. Mm -hmm. And then Ethan does that kind of crazy dive thing into the vault. Mm -hmm. And it seems to get crazier and crazier how they get into places in each of the Mission Impossible movies. Where here, we have a really simple, non-elaborate, effective plan to get past security while carrying some bombs. Yeah. I mean, it just great espionage and planning. It was. It was. All right. So we got an important scene back at the house that ties everything together here, really. So clearly Vogel, who has made some calls, knows Tartu is a fake. He knows that the real Tartu in Romania died six months ago. Again, lots of Mission Impossible stuff here. He's going to make a call, and Marushka flirts with him delaying him and ultimately she's got to hit him over the head with a statue this scene shows how determined marushka is in her underground work much like stevenson is determined in his work and always reminds us of james bond who will do virtually anything to complete his mission so marushka heads to the gas factory now after she whacks vogel she's going to warn tartu and convinces the guard to let her in with to talk to Tartu. This shows how much of a double agent even Marushika was, flirting and befriending the Germans and working for the underground, and she does it perfectly. And now Stevenson, Tartu, tells her to call Novotny and tell him what's happening here, and he has to go do something now and have a car on that road out there because he needs an escape plan, like, Q tried to teach Bond always two things, right? First, never let him see you bleed, although Bond bled a lot. And what's the second thing Bond asked him? Always have an escape plan. So here Tartu is developing his escape plan. So Stevenson sounds the air raid alarm to disorient and confuse everybody in the plant. And they, now they figure out it was Tartu who did this. They're all after him. And he's, in the meantime, planting the bombs in strategic locations as the word goes out to arrest him, get him. So, And again, he's playing this very coolly. Yes, very. Like yes. we saw him when he was defusing the bomb at the beginning. He was 
calm, cool, and collected. Yep. And here, yes, there's some urgency to it, but he doesn't seem to panic. Yeah, and he's got these little pocket bombs that he's dropping in strategic locations, multiple explosives that we've seen in many Bond films, Live and Let Die, Golden Eye. You know, it's a good spy thing to do. <laughs> Lots of bombs. <laughs> Blown up, sir. (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot of searching for Tartu here, and there's a lot of shots fired as Tartu tries to get the hell out of there. Uh, Okay, so during this, couldn't you in the back of your mind hear the Benny Hill theme? (laughs) 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 Oh, come on. No, 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 no. This is serious (laughs) stuff. Benny Hill, what are you, crazy? All right. All right, but here all all these guys are firing at him, and there's a lot of Germans firing at him. Nobody hits him. So, Tartu... Well, that's consistent with spy movies. Yeah, Tartu's a much better shot than his enemies. He shoots two bullets and, and kills two Germans. And once again, really, oh, the his his enemies are much like the Bond enemies in the movie. They can't shoot. But, but what bothered me here is, though, and, and there's no answer to this, is that the bombs were set to go off at 12.15. That's what they said. That's what he said when he was with the underground, right? They're set to go off at 12.15. He had to move up the whole timetable here because of Marushika's information that she delivered to him that, hey, you know, they know they're on to you. So we don't see him resetting them or anything for sure. So I don't know whatever happened with that. Well, how much how much more forward did they have to go? Did I don't know. Tell us? We don't know. I mean, yeah. if it was 15 minutes later, I mean, you don't see the explosion until he's off site. So. We don't see it, but he had to go do something now. We knew that. So I don't know. Eh, maybe it's fine. Well, our willing suspension of disbelief. So, all right, let's jump ahead past a lot of the action here. As Stevenson escapes explosions he set up, he gets into the car being driven by one of his accomplices, someone from the underground. Stevenson gets in. He asks for the driver's gun because this is empty. I don't know why it's empty. He only shot two bullets, but me. Eh. <laughs> oh, now Maybe. you're getting picky. <laughs> yeah. Now we note that this car has steering wheel on the right. And some have critiqued this movie and this scene in particular as obviously being filmed in England, which it was. I think it was filmed at Pinewood Studios and using a, uh, an English car. But the Skoda car manufacturer at that time did make cars with steering wheels on the right. So there you go. And actually, Skoda, like you said, Tom, they're still in business. They make over half the cars, I think, in the Czech Republic today. Yeah, I remember the first time I went over to Europe, and I was like, what is this Skoda brand? I'd never heard of them. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah. they're there. Yeah. So anyway, you think, okay, he's in the car. He escaped. Oh, no, it's not over yet. <laughs> Will the bombs go oh, off? Mate, there's more. <laughs> yeah. Will the bombs go off? Where is Marushika? Does he care even where she is? Would Bond care? Well, I don't know. Most of the time, uh, Bond did care at the end. So we see the Germans on the streets and a bill posts that reads all checks found in the street after 7 p.m. will be shot. Germans are getting anxious. Of course, it's in English, so we can read it. I would have liked it if it was in Czech and then kind of morphed into English for our benefit, but it's in English. Germans really did post bills like this when they captured the territory. We were on the island of Guernsey once, the southernmost island of the British Isles a few years ago, and the Germans had captured that island in World War II and used it as a submarine facility for repairs and fueling and so on. And in the museum, there were signs very much like this one, very much like this one. And, of course, they were in English because they were in England. All right, Marushika. (laughs) (laughs) Go figure. Yeah. Well, it turns out, of course, Marushika is with the underground and that's cool they have her she's safe 
So Marushka and Stevenson climb up some steps, then a ladder, and they exit through a hole in the ground. Kind of like the hole in the ground from the tunnels in The Great Escape, if you remember that movie. Remember that? It's just like that, really. They pop their head out of the ground. I prefer Hogan's Heroes. <laughs> oh, man. At the doghouse. They will take a German plane and fly it to Malta. And they've arranged a signal with a secret code to alert the Malta military that this German plane is okay. I've been to Malta, and I've been in the bunker where Eisenhower and the other generals planned the invasion of Italy. I mean, it's an amazing place. And, yeah, and, and I'm going to be there in a few weeks. I'm not sure I'm going to actually be able to make it to the bunker. Oh, you got to go to the bunker. You have to go to the bunker. It's, I, I, it's the I very much want to. I just don't know if I'm going to be able to with the way the time schedule works out. Yeah. We'll see. Drop something else. <laughs> Stevenson is holding the guards in a room at a gunpoint while a pilot and Marushika get in the plane. A couple of more guards approaching the plane are shot from inside the plane. It's kind of like Indiana Jones King. <laughs> there. <laughs> and Marushika is worried about Stevenson. Will he make it out? We don't know, right? Yeah, actually, you know what, Dan? Let's stop here. Will yeah. he make it out? Yeah, that's good. Let's let's let the listener find out by watching the movie. Yeah, yeah. Watch the movie or rewatch the movie to find out. It's worth the time, as it's a classic in many ways. We pointed out some of the reasons to watch it, including some of these key scenes that we analyzed here. But they're key scenes that any one of them is worth watching the movie for. We'll end by saying that we noticed one seemingly incorrect element that bothered us. Hmm. The German uniforms of the SS, the Schultzstaffel, the insignias seemed odd. That's what SS means? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The insignias seemed odd because the SS insignia is really on the right side of the uniform lapel area, and the rank of the person is that insignia is on the left. But here... They're reversed for some reason in the movie. I, I don't know. Was it intentional? They drive on different sides of the road. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> was it intentional or is it meant maybe to, to mock the SS or maybe it was just an accident? It would seem that they would know this since it's a propaganda film, really, and it's made in the middle of the war. So the real SS also had Death's Head, the Totenkopf insignia on the cap, the skull and crossbones, another frightening reminder because originally i believe that this was the brigade that administered and managed the concentration camps so, so. wait so the death's head totenkopf and skull and crossbones are all the same thing yes yeah okay yeah all right. uh, so i didn't see any of those insignias in the movie either on the caps but i think eventually all the ss had it that symbol of course was in use before the nazis back to pirate days, the skull and crossbones and stuff anyway all right You've got plenty of reasons to watch or rewatch The Adventures of Tartu, also known as Sabotage Agent. Yeah, that's a wrap. Remember to subscribe to our show, Cracking the Code of Spy Movies, through your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube as well. Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it.